Hey, Adam. Joshua, what's up? I just looked at my calendar. You know what's coming up? Uh, the fall equinox. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I'm going to have guessed. It yeah. was either a solstice or an equinox, and I get confused sometimes. <laughs> and thanks but, for letting me know. Sure. But, but you were saying that something else was coming up. What were you thinking? I was trying not to say the thing, but the thing is... Our one-year anniversary party, mixer, networking event, and open mic at Olak downtown, right by the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion, and near the Walt Disney Concert Hall. It's an amazing plant-based restaurant because Josh chose it, and mm-hmm. that's how it works. <laughs> and to the victors go the spoils. <laughs> but uh, it'll be an opportunity to meet other writers, artists, actors, directors, creative process-interested people in Los Angeles at a great night, Thursday, October 18th at Olak. Uh, Josh and I will be there. Uh, and we even, will we share material? Maybe, <laughs> maybe. Our <laughs> essence, ta- we'll be sharing our, our essence. essence. Yeah. Email notes at your notes at gmail.com if you want to uh, share some material at the open mic. It could be something in development, it could be a few pages of a script, personal story, one act play, just like five, three to five minutes of material. Um, let us know. We'd love to to have you on there and we'll be supportive because that's what we do. See you there. Now arriving downtown Santa Monica station. Hey, Adam. It's time for Notes on Your Notes. I'm Adam Lesser. And I am Joshua Townsend. Welcome to Notes on Your Notes, a podcast about the creative process and storytelling. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at Josh's shirt right now, which is Venice 90291. Right on, baby. <laughs> Venice. <laughs> the new Silicon Beach. <laughs> That's right. I was yeah. gonna get. I just yeah. think of six hundred dollar cashmere sweaters when I think of Venice. Oh really? <laughs> That's yeah, Abbott Kinney. And Abbott. hats. Oh, really? Stylish girls in hats. Stylish girls in hats. I think of Abbott Kinney. I think of uh, overpriced um, boutique Anything. restaurants. Yeah. <laughs> Anything. Yeah. Salt um, and straw, excellent ice cream. Oh, yeah. Ice cream. Yeah. Air Wands that has a Venice store right on the corner. New, I guess. Newish. Newish. Mm-hmm. You know, places that used to rent for, what, 2500 or now like 5000 yeah. yeah. Venice is an interesting neighborhood. The late um, L.A. novelist Les Plesko mm. uh, said to me once that he had come of, like he'd been in Venice a long time. He said there are only two stores on Abikini that were the same as when he moved to Venice and when he passed away a few years ago. Wow. Yeah. Um, I believe one was Abbott's Habits, the hamburger place, I think. Oh, uh-huh. And then there's a, a liquor store there, which oh, apparently yeah. has been there forever. Yeah, the liquor store. Which is yeah. unclear to me how it's still there. Maybe maybe he or she owns the building. Could be. Yeah. Could be. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. It's seen a lot of changes for sure. Venice reminds me of New York City in that way, in the mm. sense that like that kind of speed of gentrification, mm-hmm. I've only ever seen in New York because New York mm. has like no l- rules about what you can and can't do in a neighborhood. Mm. It's just like money rules everything. You know, there's like no. It's like you come in, everything. Cl- you know, they'll turn over Williamsburg, which is this hip 
neighborhood in Brooklyn. They clear they turned it over in like five years. Wow. You know, it went from being you know, to super hip. Then like another five years later, or maybe seven, it became like condos for finance guys. Like it's like, wow. like stuff turned so quickly in New York, and I'd never really seen that in L.A. But Venice, like probably, what do you think it was ten, twelve years? Venice has a unique a unique profile in that it's been like trying to do that flip uh-huh. for so long yeah. and then um and then finally when the tech companies came in it it solidified it yeah you're right that was like the closer yeah. snapchat's based in venice and owns a lot of real estate there yeah google there's yeah. some other startups in that area it's that's what changed the that's what changed the the underlying real estate um aspects and then oddly enough when you go on the other side of venice boulevard and just north of uh, Lincoln, uh, there are still um, gang members that do drug deals hmm. to the point where if you buy a piece of real estate, you have to sign a disclosure that you understand that it's a known gang infested <laughs> area yeah. as you plop $3 million down for a two plus one. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Welcome to L.A. Welcome to L.A., baby. <laughs> So yeah, it's um, yeah, it's uh, you know what's interesting is that is that you know Abbott Kinney I feel like has a great um, it's a great example of of like it presents in a certain way you know it's like it's has such a public persona yeah it has such a public persona, right like yeah. it, like some neighborhoods there's like hidden mm-hmm. but Venice doesn't feel okay yeah public the public persona of Venice pub- yeah so <laughs> this is a lead into today's episode and so subtle no one, no one would recognize it. So there's this quote by the novelist Gabriel Garcia Marquez that I've been thinking about for the last few months. I think Mm. I came across it reading the newspaper or something. But anyways, it goes like this. Quote, everyone has three lives, a public life, a private life, and a secret life. Everyone has three lives, a public life, a private life, and a secret life. So when I read this, I kept turning over my head. I like, what is someone's secret life? Mm -hmm. Because you're personal life usually connotes intimate relations uh your the way you communicate in your interactions with your romantic partner your family uh that aspect in your public life might be how you appear at work how Mm -hmm. you appear uh in public at the Mm -hmm. supermarket Mm -hmm. and what was this third place the secret life you know and it got me thinking a lot about character and what is the secret life of the characters I write and why knowing that could be important because it would help me understand more deeply their motivations and what stands behind their action. And it would also lead me on the road to finding their aberrant behavior, which would be fascinating to see. Mm -hmm. So when I told you the idea for this, you asked me for an example. Yeah. Now typically, and you said something which I thought was interesting, which was like, well, when people talk about secret lives, it's always like one thing, right? Yeah. Right? It's typically mm-hmm. like what is their um, out of the mainstream sexual habits, right? Mm-hmm. Basically. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, that's not like quite what I want to get at. Although mm-hmm. I'm sure that qualifies. I would also say we're entering a weird sort of period in history where I think people are so open with details of their sexuality and there's such an acceptance now that I'm not sure that those things remain so secret anymore. As we move forward, I think that line has shifted. It will shift, is shifting. So I was trying to think, I was like, okay, and this is what I remember. So this is this happened when I was 17. I remember the, I believe it was the admissions officer from Harvard came to visit my high school. Hmm. 
and someone raised their hand and said, well, like, what's an example of a great college essay? And she looks at everyone and she said, well, you know, we had this guy who applied a few years ago mm-hmm. and he was the quarterback of his high school football team. Mm-hmm. And he wrote an essay about growing up with a lisp. He had a lisp and about how it made him feel and how he overcame it. And he talked about how he would sit in front of the mirror in his bedroom mm-hmm. and practice making play calls the way you would make play calls at the line of scrimmage or in the huddle on a quarterback. Mm-hmm. And he would do it in the mirror because he was terrified of the lisp coming back in a high pressure situation. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I don't remember much more than that, but I've always remembered that story because I think it spoke to like the vulnerability of this let's call him a character, even though he's a human being, mm-hmm. particularly is such a huge contrast to the character of what we perceive the high school quarterback to be confident, strong, in command, right? But here was vulnerability. And I've always remembered this story from a character perspective. But what got me about it when we talked about Garcia Marquez's quote was just that I think that this is, in a sense, his secret life. Like, in a sense, like, this is the secret fear he carries around and that is that he will, that this will come through, that this lisp he had growing up will come through. And the behavior is like to sit in front of a mirror and practice. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so fascinating because that must be his secret life. And it's also something that I could imagine he would not share with anyone. Mm-hmm. Like even his high school girlfriend or his best friends would not know that he is sitting in his room practicing play calls in front of a mirror for this reason. Right. They wouldn't know that about him. Mm -hmm. And it got me thinking to like the details. And it's so behavioral. Right. So if you saw this in a movie, Mm -hmm. I mean, what a great scene for an actor. Right. Mm -hmm. So first of all, actors, I think, enjoy scenes where they get to be alone Mm -hmm. because it allows them to really be physical. Mm -hmm. Um, And they get all the attention. They get all the attention. I mean, think Mm -hmm. about De Niro and Taxi Driver. I was... That right. I literally, Adam. <laughs> yeah, seriously, yeah. I was literally thinking that as an example yeah. about. So, what is his? Because I was just going through that yeah. in my mind. What is his secret life, or what is his? What I I approach it slightly differently. I would say, what's his greatest? What's one of his greatest fears, which then creates it to be a secret that he's ashamed of. Right. Right. So my memory is Travis Pickle, as played by Nero. Nero nice. Is staring nice. at the staring in the mirror, and he's got a mohawk. Right. You talking to me? Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's my memory. But yeah. the bigger question you're asking is what was behind that? Yeah, like just the, Yeah, just knowing that character as, however you remember him, what would you speculate his his greatest fear or secret to be? I would guess that it related something to do with power and respect and not being respected. You got it. Right? That's exactly it. Right. Cuz he he wants to be somebody and he drives a taxi cab and I remember the monologues being something like all the scum and the evil and the horrible people and they don't even treat him like a human being. Right. And that he wants to gain that power back because he's a, a vet and he feels like he's not being seen anymore. Right. So yeah, you're absolutely right. And his secret, that secret drives that whole movie. Yeah. And so knowing your character's secret drives the whole narrative. Mm-hmm. That's why this quote got to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that the secret aspect uh, and the fear aspect are are hooked because he, this football player, I'm sorry, quarterback, um, the quarterback has, because the quarterback has to be both articulate and smart and as well as, you know, have um, physical prowess, um, is that he fears being exposed for someone 
with a lisp which could denote something about his masculinity. And so, so he has the secret, but the secret is, is kept a secret because of his fear of how people respond. Right. Yeah. That's exactly right. So it's powerful, yeah. It's powerful. So as you think through your stories this week, you know, really give, it's a two-part thing. It's what is the secret and how does it manifest in behavior? Mm-hmm. And you really want to get that second part because that's really important. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you just sit down and make a list. Like how, if the underlying fear is X of not being seen, of not being heard, mm-hmm. how would this manifest? And how would it manifest privately, right? You know? Because I was thinking, as you were talking, I was thinking about Marlon Brando in On the Waterfront. Mm-hmm. And his moment of wanting to be someone and be recognized happens in relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Like his, his, my memory is that his, his, I could have been a contender moment right. actually happens in relationship, right? Like there's someone else in that scene, right? Am I wrong? You're right. Keep going. Right. So that is him revealing his inner life within the context of. That one is specific. I mean, let's, you know, if we, if I remember it correctly as well, I believe that would be a regret moment. So that's his regret is what puts him in, in alignment with that held secret. Right. Yeah. Right. But it's also happening within the context of a relationship. Yes. A relationship is bringing that out. And I'm not saying that your secret doesn't manifest, but usually it's under the surface. It's causing aberrant behavior. And no doubt we saw a lot of aberrant behavior from Brando in that movie before that yeah. climactic yeah. scene. Yeah. But, but I it's know only, that those writers knew that secret before. Oh, of course. Yeah, absolutely. And so they knew to write it into the behavior. Yes. The yes. same way if you were writing the story of the quarterback, you would know. Yes. He might have a climactic scene at the end with his girlfriend where he says, you know, I'm always afa- afraid of feeling like an idiot. I even feel that way around you or something like that. Uh-huh. But to lead up to that, you would need to see yeah. the behavior of him alone in the mirror. Yeah, absolutely. It's always going to be in relationship to another person because because it is a secret because and there is fear of, right. of exposure. So, yeah, you're absolutely right there. There needs to be some sort of confessional concealment, concealment, and, and, and disclosure, and, and disclosure. Right. Yeah. Right. And if you're doing real estate disclosure, if you're doing, you know, religious stuff, then it. So, what do you think Venice's secret is? Forgive me, Father. Um, well, I actually revealed the secret. The secret is that you don't really get to know that it's a gang-infested area <laughs> until you until you want to buy something there, and they make you sign off on it. <laughs> exactly. All right. So that's that's you know, wow, good parallel. <laughs> the underbelly, the seedy side. The seedy side of Venice. Yeah, yeah, it's really, and then you know, it's how much energy do we have on that, on that secret, on on the withhold. It's also withhold within any uh, relationship, you know. Mm. Uh, and because the secret in relationship, like for instance, if if I'm a judge. But it's so hack. I mean, it's so hack that, you know, especially in England, for some reason, like, you know, the members of parliament or a judge or whatever. And then, you know, secretly, you know, at night they're 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 being flogged by, you know, a dominatrix or something. But oh, yeah, yeah I've seen that storyline weirdly a lot. so many times. It's yeah. hack. But but um, but yeah, that's that's their thing is like they have uh, a high decorum gig, a judge, 
a member of parliament. And then the the thing you would expect them the least would be to be in that position. So there's the, the humiliation of it from his uh, professional life, and then there's also the humiliation from his personal life, his family, his children. But he has to actively withhold that because of shame and regret right. and fear and of his secret life being exposed because of the opposite. Right, and he has a secret desire. He has a secret desire, but you know what? I, I'm. This is really real-time exploration, just so everyone knows. Yeah. Like, I'm seeing it very clearly, is that the judge... See, if if the guy if the guy likes to be flogged by a dominatrix, just because that's an easy one, <laughs> and he works at a car wash, there's not much ripple effect, right. you know. But because he holds such a high status as a judge, then there's a bigger backlash. In the same way of your example of the quarterback, be- because he's a quarterback, he's hold he's held to a certain kind of ideal. Right. And there's a certain amount of decorum of what we expect and uh, uh, how a quarterback to to uh, present and to uh, uh, the way he comports himself in life. And then to see his sexuality, in essence, being um, maligned, maligned? Maligned. By his, maligned by his lisp, then uh, that's what creates... Masculinity. Yeah, that's what creates the, the conflict. So my challenge to people is to try to make it non-sexual. Because I feel like I can use the word hack. For, I think in reality, a lot of historically probably people's secrets have been in the sexual variety. But it's... I think behaviorally, it's interesting to see when it's not. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by this conversation, and I, I would be hard-pressed to like find something that doesn't have a, a tethering to sexuality. Because even in the quarterback uh, uh, example, there's a tethering to his sexuality. Right. I'm just like... My suggestion is just don't make it like a secret kink and make right. it right down the middle. Right, right. flogging. Yeah, he <laughs> yeah. likes to be flogged. Josh yeah. is a great example. <laughs> that wasn't a great think, example. That was I a think, horrible example. I think it was just there a was actually example. a court case in England about this because they have much stricter libel laws there. Yeah. And I think there was some judge who was captured on video with BDSM um, sex workers. Yeah. And they, he was able to sue because that's like releasing that is not okay in, in England. Right, right, right. But that is exactly, you know, it's like... But, but I mean, but what I'm saying is that, is that it happens so much there yeah. that it's like, yeah, well, yeah what, else, what else, you know, pass the salt, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's like, like basically like every male judge in England. Yeah, yeah, like basically. Like they leave the yeah. bench and walk right into like a dungeon. Basically, that's basically what I'm told. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, exactly. but they have to be over 50. Right. You know. Old. Yeah. Bald. Yeah. A little, a little paunchy. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so you've met them. Now casting. You know what, listeners? Listeners, <laughs> please, you know, uh, uh, drop us a, an email because I would love to hear about a secret that doesn't have a tethering to something that's something most people would be ashamed of in relationship to sexuality. I would love to read those emails too. Yes. This has been Notes on Your Notes. I'm Adam Lesser. You could send those emails, as I said, to notes on your notes at Gmail. Also, I would encourage you to go to our Facebook page and like it because that's where you can get additional content from Joshua and all sorts of posts and also to stay updated about our upcoming events. And we also have an Instagram account at Notes on Your Notes. The sound design on the show is courtesy of me and the music is courtesy of Kevin McLeod. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.